This is the Sunday Sermon Podcast from Claycomo Baptist Church. Today is Sunday, May the 8th, 2022. The first thing I want to do is apologize. We had some technical difficulties recording the sermon on May the 1st, so we're picking up where we left off on May the 8th. Today, Pastor Scott Gordon continues his study on healthy habits with worship and here. And now to Pastor Scott. That is a favorite course of mine. From as young as I can remember, and really focusing on it in my teen years after coming to Jesus as my Savior, that song has stuck with me. And then as I was thinking about that song, I was like, well, where did it come from? I mean, outside of the obvious, we're getting ready to get into. And some of you, you've heard it going, I know where that song comes from. It comes from the Bible. And you'd be right. But let me tell you the origin story of the specific tune that was written here. Pastor Dick Mills was proud of his 64-year-old mother. And he had every right to be. In addition to raising six children, she was a speaker for women's groups and churches and she had written more than 300 songs. Now, sometimes she could write a song in just a few minutes after someone suggested a topic or a Bible verse for her. So, one day when Pastor Mills knew his mother was coming to visit him, he told his congregation at the Foursquare Church in Hillsboro, Oregon, they could suggest a favorite Bible verse and she would come up with a song. The only problem with his plan was that he had not told his mother what he had told his congregation. So it was a big surprise to her when he put her on the spot. During the evening service, a member of the congregation suggested she write a song from his favorite verse, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. And as you're listening, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. He asked Mrs. Mills to write music for the verse. And at the close of the service, don't get scared here, a service that did not close until after 10 o'clock that night. We're not repeating that here today. Pauline Mills sang this very song that we just sang together back in 1963 was the first time that came out what a wonderful song of the faith in fact now that you are turned there to revelation chapter 4 let's look at that beautiful picture of worship in heaven i'm going to pick up in verse 8 the context is in verse 4 as john is receiving, if you will, this book, the revelation of God, and all that is contained within it. A couple of our Sunday school classes, I know at least, are talking about the end times. This is the precursor to that. This is, if you will, the setup for the significance of understanding all of God's plan, including the end of this age and the beginning of all of that eternal promise, reward, and consequence. And so in the first seven verses, he is told to come up here, and he is shown the throne room of heaven. I cannot imagine what that would be like. Here's what we have shown for us here in Scripture. 
But to be the one sitting in that vision, in that moment, is uh, simply fascinating. And we come to verse 8. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. So I think Mrs. Mills did a great job of portraying for us those wonderful songs of heaven. This is what we are given as that perfect picture. And we have that privilege of, of singing that wonderful hymn, if you will, or chorus, that praise and, and worship song. The, the deal is with John, especially in the book of Revelation, when it gets going here, he just can't stop. Which ought to give us a clue as to the privilege of worship and the enthusiasm of worship because you know, verse 11 in our Bibles is the end of a chapter. Well, guess what chapter 5 picks up with? More of it. More of this praise. More uh, of this worship. In fact, we look at that opening scene in chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, seeing this worship in heaven. And it continues by looking for someone who is worthy to open the scroll. And there's a search, and there was a, a weeping on John's part because there was no one found who is worthy to open the scroll. And before we get to verse 11, that's where I want to highlight, but I want to actually start with verse 8. The Lamb is worthy, and when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb... Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Get ready. There will be new songs in heaven, just warning you ahead of time. Because that's what the Bible says. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign on earth. Let's pick up verse 11. It says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. <laughs> Talk about a worship service. Oh, man. Verse 12 they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And here's the only response to that that is just right in the moment. 
The four living creatures said, Amen. So be it. Absolutely. Yes. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Now that's a good way to start the book of Revelation. I mean, you want some enthusiasm? If you can read that and kind of go, Huh. Man. I feel sorry for you if that's not an enthusiasm igniter, if you will, if it doesn't light a spark. But the deal is, it doesn't end here even in the book of Revelation. If we look at Revelation, the 15th chapter, and setting that up for us, it is still in the midst of the tribulation. In fact, this worship scene is right before the last set of God's judgment is going to be poured out. And I say that literally because we're talking about bowls of judgment that come at that point in chapter 15. Listen to this. They're singing. Verse 3, they sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. Now that's maybe a challenge to us. At the beginning, Getting John focused and, you know, that excitement, seeing the throne room of heaven. Okay, that kind of makes sense. That's before the judgment. But in the midst of the judgment, there is worship in heaven. After those who have even been those who will be victims, if you will, of the tribulation. Martyred saints. We won't get into all of those details, but did you notice a consistent theme throughout all three of these events, if you will, in heaven? There is one key word used in two settings and the very exact thought in this final one, though the same word is not used, and it is this word, worthy. Worthy means deserving, weighty, weighty meaning value, and it is fitting. You see, that is, that is the response of worship. When we see the God of all creation, we see the God who was and is and is to come. We see Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our fitting and our deserved and our significant, if you will, weighty response is to say, He is worthy. They do in heaven. They do right here in heaven. And why is this assertion made? How, how is it able to be made? It comes from two aspects that we see within these texts. First of all, it comes from a focused observation. We see in Revelation 4, the beginning, and we see in the early part of Revelation chapter 5, as well as through attentive listening. Revelation chapter 5 Verse 11 in Revelation 15, 1, 2, 3. It is a response. In Revelation chapter 4, John is called to come up here and to see. 
and to observe. In the midst of that, those who are worshiping around the throne, from the angels to the elders and all that is, in, in trying to explain it, we can get lost in that. But in the, the response of worship is evident because of what they see and because of who they see. Because we get to Revelation chapter 5, there's a searching for that one who is worthy to open the scrolls, and no one is found. And then there is one who is standing as though he has also been killed. Sound familiar? It is a resurrected lamb. It is the Messiah. It is Jesus who is worthy. And they see him. And the elders fall on their face. The voices are lifted high in chorus together. A beautiful melody, a wonderful harmony in heaven. And as they hear that, it just continues to lead from one worship song to another. I hope we personally and corporately, as God's people, never tire of worship. And you say, what you mean then is the next time that the worship team starts on Sunday morning, we ought to just keep going and, and avoid the preaching. Well, no. And at the same time, hear me say yes in this. Our heart of worship ought to be a constant aspect of who we are. Whether we are singing praise, whether we are praying, whether we are opening God's word and we are being encouraged by the truth that we find there, in all aspects, our first and most immediate response as we see in heaven, even in heaven, and I say it even as if it's like, oh, really, it's going to happen in heaven? Yeah, in heaven, the response to God is awe and wonder to proclaim his majesty and glory. What a beautiful picture heaven is. And you say, well, that, that's great. We're, we're talking about the worship of heaven. The deal is, I'm not there right now. Neither is Lynette Gibson right now. As much as Jennifer may have tried to get her. If you don't know what we're talking about, ask them when we're finished. But here's the deal. We might be saying, that's That's heaven. But what about here? I mean, that, that sounds encouraging. Oh, that's something to look forward to. Okay. How about this verse? Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. And you say, if I'm thinking through and, and studying before, that sounds like it's in the midst of the Lord's Prayer. And guess what? You're right. And it goes like this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we often think about this when we pray, when we teach on prayer, that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we as the church ought to live according to the moral standards of the Bible, and that we ought to be that lighthouse that shines forth that truth. And you'd be right. We often teach it and, and we, we think of it in the lives of We ought to live according to the ethical standards of the Bible. And we ought to shine that forth to a world that is around us. And you'd be right. Let me ask you this. There's not even any real qualification of it has to be this subject or that subject. In fact, it says kind of openly, let all of it. 
If I read this correctly, your kingdom come, your will be done, your will entirely be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. How about this? Your will be done regarding worship on earth as it is in heaven. Can we take that encouragement? That we look at in heaven and say, wow, that sounds awesome. I can't imagine. It's got to be so cool. It's got to be unbelievable. It is, as uh, Bart uh, and, and the guys with Mercy Me talk about, I can only imagine right now. And we can only imagine. And, and here we find ourselves looking at that. And it sounds great for someday. But right here, right now, what about this day? What about tomorrow? And the days that are ahead of us? What about worship on earth? And how can we, we reflect worship as it is in heaven? It's a fantastic question that has a wonderful precedent set for us. If you would like to turn there, we're going to hit kind of one verse, but if you want to peruse over the context of Psalm 150, that's where we're going. To be reminded of this important opportunity and privilege we have of worship on earth. Now, verse 1 says, Hallelujah, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. I think that qualifies for here and now. But verse 2 is where I want us to focus. The rest gets into the how and what and trumpet and harp and lion. I'm not to the point of wanting to discuss styles yet. We, we do that a little bit on Wednesday night. I'd love for you to join us as we are talking about worship and this wonderful habit for our spiritual strength and health regarding worship on Wednesday night in our adult prayer meeting. But verse 2, praise him for his powerful acts. Praise him for his abundant greatness. It's been hard even trying to just introduce the worship of heaven and not already talk about his greatness and his goodness and start to think about how that affects me right now rather than just trying to keep it located in heaven like we see around the throne, like we see those in Revelation 15 continuing on the praise of our God. But that's exactly what they are doing. They are praising God because he has created all things and all things created. You are worthy to receive honor and power and glory. In all of these things, it is a wonderful picture of worship that is not reserved. Oh, it will be intensely more amazing than any worship that we experience here and now but that is a future to come and in the moment here we get to enjoy that very same privilege that very same blessing now right here right now and so i want us to say hey they were aware of god's actions and attributes why don't we remind ourselves of those as well? Because that's exactly what the psalmist is encouraging us to do in verse 2. Praise him for his powerful acts, that aspect of what he does. Praise him for his abundant or excellent greatness, who he is, his attributes. 
Now is the point at which everybody's worried that we could go till 10 p.m. tonight. Because as you look at all that God has done and the depth of who he is, it is going to be impossible. And so I'm not even going to try to exhaust the list right here, right now. Maybe this would just be kind of the stoking of that fire. Maybe the starting or the rekindling of that fire for you or me, for us today. And remind us of the wonderful truth that worship in honor of God is because of his excellent actions. His actions. I just want to name three of them really quickly here. Is this. First of all, creation. The very throne room of God in Revelation talks about he has created all things. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, Paul writing to that church says this, For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood, how? Through what he, that is God, has made. As a result, people are without excuse. And we could look clear back to Genesis 1 and 2 to see that dawn of creation, that aspect of God very intentionally creating all that we know, everything that we can see. And the vastness of that is amazing. Remember Easter a few years ago, I took a cue from Louis Giglio, and we looked at the size of this galaxy, the size, if you will, of the universe, and thinking how big that is doesn't even compare to the greatness, if you want to say the bigness of our God. Oh, because he has created all things. Next, another of God's actions we've kind of been talking about in a couple of Sunday school classes I, I at least know, uh, because of talking about his return, you talk about his first appearance. We would call it Advent. I chose a couple of verses that just really sum up because John does a great job of summarizing things. If you want the other details, man, jump into the rest of the gospel, especially Matthew and Luke. As we see that beginning story of Advent, what we would, of course, celebrate around Christmas. But John says it like this in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 further explains, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And if you think about John writing about this, writing about everything he does in the gospel, then writing to the churches of his day to help encourage them, protect them, keep them focused and encouraged in all of that aspect of living for the glory of God now. And then he's the one who turns and writes the book of Revelation saying, hey, hold on, it is going to get tough. There is a tribulation is coming. There is a judgment that God is going to pour out over all the earth. And this this is also true. Jesus is coming again. And in the midst of all of that, he can't help but just say, let's celebrate. I didn't even get to the end of the chapter or the end of the book of Revelation and include that here. But what is the concluding thought that John has when all is said and done in the book of Revelation? It is, amen, Jesus, come quickly. 
It is, I am looking forward to it. I am ready for that day. And everything that has been said about Jesus and God before is this. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Why? Because he came, the one and only Son of God. And one more of God's mighty actions. Being in the immediate vicinity of Easter, I can't help but talk about resurrection. Even if it were the middle of summer, I can't help talk about resurrection. So we're going to talk about resurrection. Luke chapter 24, earlier part of that, we have the discovery as these wonderful ladies go to the tomb to take care of what needed to be taken care of because they couldn't rightfully prepare Jesus' body to be buried whenever he died. They go and stones rolled away. He is not here. And in fact, that's exactly what the angel hanging out there says. According to what we read in Luke 24, beginning in verse 6, He is not here, but He has risen. <laughs> and here's this. Here's the remember. This is the response. This memory gets us to the point, got them to the point of saying, Oh, yes. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. I don't know what kind of immediate response, but it was excitement because they didn't just sit there and go, Huh, that's nice. And just kind of meander off like, well, I wonder what we ought to go do now. They ran. They, with haste, made their way back to where the disciples were. And they said, hey, Jesus didn't, you know, and they were just, whoa. And, of course, the response of Peter and John was both to take off and run and go find out what's going. John got there first, kind of hung on. Peter, as we talked about in John chapter 20, ran on in. They finally kind of got that. They walked out and they said, oh, this is what Jesus was talking about. The very same way these ladies did. And it is that beautiful picture of seeing the awesome power of God that brings us not only to repentance, it brings us to the privilege of worship to celebrate that truth. Next, I want to list just a, three of his attributes. This is his excellent greatness just God is worthy of our worship simply because of who he is not only for what he has done but simply because of who he is and how how great is our God there's another song I mean you can't hardly say a phrase in relationship to any of this and not come up with oh somebody wrote the song about that Sometimes we know it, sometimes we don't. It's what amazes me. Of course, you all know that Alistair Begg's one of my favorites. I used his quote in, in my Easter sermon about the man on the middle cross said I could come. I love his voice and just, and all that. I, can, I don't know if I have ever heard him preach where he doesn't quote a hymn, and it's a hymn I've never heard of. Of course, he grew up in Scotland with a whole other set of hymnals that we've never seen before in Baptist life and, and, and stuff. But he'll just start, in fact, in that quote, he starts you know, going down the road of some hymn I've never heard. And it's a beautiful melody, and his voice is just perfect to go with that. It's kind of winsome and singing as it goes. But when we think of Scripture, those that really jump out at us, if you will, I can almost guarantee somebody's written a song about it. 
And so when you hear it, you go, oh, yeah, and, and sing it, and it, sing it in our mind. But here's just a few of God's attributes. First of all, he is self-existent. What does that mean? It means that God is. And he doesn't need anybody, and nobody can take him away. You say, but God created us for a relationship with him. It wasn't because he was missing something. It is because we needed something. Uh, an aspect of the perfection of God is sharing the goodness, blessing others. He can't bless others without us being here. So he chose to create us to share the goodness and greatness of who he is. And we respond. How? In worship. Worship through obedience. Worship through praise. Worship. But here's this picture. And John affirms this. In John chapter 5 verse 26 says, For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. That simply means that as the very same writer records in Revelation, we worship the God who was and is and is to come. As the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that he is the truly Eternal one, self-existent. There is no other. No matter what anyone else will try to say, the scripture has revealed that God and God alone has always existed. And therefore, he is worthy to be praised. God, another of his attributes is justice. You can see it throughout all of Scripture. Most often in Scripture, it's interesting, as I was doing this study and looking at a book that was listing the attributes of God, often we are called to follow in His steps, to quote another book. And so a lot of times we learn of the attributes of God, and it is that which we should incorporate into our lives. Now, it's not natural for us. It is perfectly natural for God. It's who He is. So when I think of the justice of God, I usually turn to the book of Amos. And most of that, though, is because God is just, you ought to be as well. But justice flow down like rivers and mercy, like a never-ending stream. In, in Amos chapter 5, verse 24. But when we come to this beautiful picture, just thinking about the justice of God and who he is, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4 reads like this. The rock that is Jesus, that is God, the rock, his work is perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God without bias, he is righteous and true. That just wants, I, there's about five other attributes that come to mind when you talk about the justice of God. Righteousness, holiness. Judgment is part of justice. But I'm going to leave those to the side. You're going, okay, take note of those. And, you know, do, do your own study through that. It is fascinating and encouraging, and it ought to light your fire. Here's another of the attributes of God. God is love. You may have actually heard that before. Very explicitly, the very writer we have been focused on today, John, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, says it like this. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, because this same guy wrote it the very similar way when we think of John three sixteen. God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Oh, it just, it, 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 it's hard for me to want to stop, but I'm running right up to the finish line for today. And not say, oh, but there's this attribute of God. There's this attribute of God. And isn't it so awesome, do we? Th- oh, and just, just sit in awe and wonder of God. The Bible tells us to let the word of Christ dwell richly among us. And in Colossians, we are reminded that in all wisdom, we are to teach and admonish one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We sing of the goodness and the glory of God. We sing rich theology, not so that we can win a Bible trivia game, but so that we might live for the glory of God. And then I'm just drawn back to this theme for today. On earth. Psalm 117 verse 1 says this. Praise the Lord all nations. Glorify him all peoples. That's our privilege. That's our opportunity on earth. Right here. Right now. We worship on earth as it is. And then I want us to see again, as it will be in heaven. Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 and 10 ought to sound like a resounding echo to Psalm 117. Listen to this. After this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. Yep, another worship song. Oh, I I know... Many of you can be like me, and when I started and thought, well, I'm going to try to lead us in a song, I'm thinking this could be a train wreck or it could be something else. I don't know. And thank you for helping me again because it made it more beautiful than it would have otherwise been. But as we look at this picture, as we think about the singing of his praise, New songs, old songs, centered around the God who has always been and always will be. You're listening to the Clay Cullen Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Clay Cullen, please visit us online www.claybap.org